You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Um, I'm so excited and happy and relieved to have Father Matthew visiting with us and preaching this morning. He is a a priest in our diocese, and he's also serving at a church in Waco while doing some studies that I'll let you tell them about uh, up at Baylor. So happy to have you here. Thank you for preaching for me. Thank you. You may be seated. Yes, I study study film at Baylor. I actually went to Fuller Seminary, just like Father Sean. We didn't overlap, uh, but I studied theology and film there. Uh, lots of fun, and I'm actually, I don't even do this every week, but I am going to talk about a film today in my sermon. So, uh, yeah, I don't do that every week, but you'll probably think I will going back after this. Uh, it's, it's good to be in a C4SO church this morning. As Father Sean mentioned, I'm in the Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others, but I serve in a church in a different diocese, which I love and uh, love dearly, but it always feels a little bit like coming home. Uh, when I get to be in a C4SO church on a Sunday morning. So it's good to be with you here. Uh, Thank you for braving the rain. I I was thinking I should have preached out of the water courses of the Negev this morning instead. Uh, The the water making a way in the wilderness as it is indeed doing down I-35 this morning. You know, but I'm not going to complain because uh, I lived in about two years of drought in Southern California And so whenever I just say, let it come, (laughs) all right, you know, driving down the road, the thunder, the lightning, uh, seeing the the rain go all over the blue bonnets and the Indian paintbrushes, and I just thought, you know, the the boundary lines have fallen for me in a goodly place. Uh, So I I didn't even mind the, the wet drive this morning. So a few weeks ago, uh, Dr. Hans Borsma was doing a conference at the church in which I serve. Actually, Father Sean was up there. He was one of the respondents to Dr. Borsma. If you don't know, Dr. Borsma is an Anglican scholar. He serves at Regent College in Vancouver, Canada, and will be moving to Neshota House later this year. His daughter also goes to our church, so we kind of have an end with him and get to have him visit us more than uh, other places who might want him to visit. Well, he was talking after, uh, well, he, he talked in general about catechesis, and then the next morning he gave a sermon that's been sitting in my brain for the past few weeks. He talked about the memory of God, the memory of God, and he insisted that, that God is the one who remembers perfectly, that God is the one who never forgets. In fact, we see this in the scriptures all the time, that God is righteous because he remembers, because he recalls, because he never forgets. But human beings, well, our memory is faulty at best, he suggested. In fact, he went so far as to suggest that sin itself is a form of forgetfulness. Sin is forgetting. Rather beautiful idea. This is why he says that Jesus will tell two or three stories in a row to make one point. (laughs) Because we are so prone to forget. This is why the Psalms, he say, are so often repetitive. Because we need that repetition. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, all you his people. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. So we are those who often forget and who need reminding. 
We could easily see the first sin as, as forgetfulness, could we not? The first sin of the man and the woman. We could simply say they forget God's commandments, which is true. In fact, if you ever sit down and read Genesis 1 through 3 in one setting, you'll notice that a few words get added to the commandment regarding the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that, that the woman adds, and you should not touch it either, which God never said. So either she forgot or the man forgot to tell her rightly uh, the commandment. But it's not just forgetting a commandment that sin, where sin seeps in. It is forgetting, in fact, the character of God, is it not? <laughs> There's a storm coming. We should not forget what that sound means. It is forgetting the very character of God. Forgetting who God is. It is forgetting the very purposes for which he created us. It is forgetting that that which we call nature is nothing less than God's creation. Not only, not only showing us his designs, but imbued in some mysterious way with his power, which we see this morning, do we not? The power of the storm, but also imbued mysteriously with his presence. It is forgetting, in fact, the very purpose for which we were made. The serpent promises the human beings, he promises that if you eat of this, you will be like God. Well, they have forgotten that that promise had already been made to them. They have forgotten that that is the very purpose for which they were created, the very reason that God first formed in the ground and first blew the divine wind into the dusty form of human nature. So he was making sons out of the soil, daughters from the dirt that would be like him. That was the goal. That was always the goal. It was supposed to happen not through a grasping, not through a, a taking of a piece of knowledge, but through long afternoon walks. It was supposed to come to them by stewarding creation the way that God would have them do it. It was supposed to come about by them interacting with one another, with fellow human beings as those made in the image of God, as those weighed down with that eternal weight of glory. Human beings seeing each other not as it's, not as, not as things that we might use for our advancement that we might utilize for our pleasure or our purposes, but seeing in other human beings a you who we might encounter. Sin is forgetting. It is forgetting God, and it is forgetting ourselves. And so we might say that the task then is to remember. Remember. And indeed, that is part of the task. But I want to suggest that to remember, first we will also have to forget, as what Paul alludes to here, that a forgetting is involved in our restoration. That's kind of a strange thing to say. And so I thought a story might say it better. And I didn't make this story up. 
In fact, uh, Pixar did. Uh, and it's from the film WALL-E, which is my son's favorite movie. He's four years old. Uh, the the Blu-ray has ceased to work at this point. Thank goodness it came with a DVD copy. Uh, though, admittedly, I owned this before he was born, so you know he's, I'm partially to blame for this mild obsession. If you haven't seen the film or if it's been a while, I'm going to remind you of it. So the film is about the last robot on Earth, the last robot on Earth who has been tasked with this immeasurable task, this impossible task of collecting all of the refuse, all of the garbage left behind by a humanity uninterested in stewarding creation, uninterested in conservation, obsessed only with consumption. And they've flown away at this point. And so this last robot's task is to gather up all the garbage, to put them in little squares, and then to build these huge sky, skyscrapers full of trash. He's alone in this task. But it is not good, the storytellers seem to say, for Wally to be alone. And so they send Eve to greet him. It's not an accident, of course. Actually, the story was written, the two guys who wrote the story are Christians, by the way. So people ask, you know, where are the good Christian films? Sometimes I just say, everywhere. You just have to open your eyes a little bit. And so Eve is sent for the task of finding, if there is to be found on this earth, a plant. Something that shows that life might be possible on the earth so that human beings might return to it. And thanks to Wally, she finds the plant. And once she has found it, the two characters are whisked away into outer space, where we encounter this intergalactic vessel filled with the last of humankind, as far as we know. And it is nothing less than a cosmic cruise ship. We encounter a vision of ourselves that is both hilarious and terribly depressing. If you haven't seen it, once the robots make their way onto the ship, they encounter the future us. And it is a people on this cosmic cruise ship who have given up all hope of having a, vo a vocation and have settled instead for a perpetual vacation. They live, as it were, on cruise forever. It's actually a very damning, uh, you know, it's funny that Disney advertises their cruise ship, and I'm like, that's the very thing this film warns us about. Please don't go. Uh, and so they're on this, this vacation forever, and they've ceased to do any activity. So they actually sit in these hover chairs, and they literally float through their lives. They've given up walking. Part of this is the difficulty with the gravity, but most, mostly they just have no interest. They're on vacation forever. They have no sense of their calling, of who they are, of why they were created. They need to be reminded. They're so, they're so fat because they don't walk. And then... And this was, story would have been written uh, a few years before the first iPhone came out. But Apple and Pixar have a good relationship. So I imagine they went to Apple and said, tell us about your technology that's coming out that's going to destroy all human beings. <laughs> and they said, oh, we have this great thing. It's called an iPhone. And so the characters sit in their chairs, 
and they're just always looking at a screen. In fact, one of the first jokes is these two uh, friends are talking to one another, and then the camera pulls back, and you, re you reveal that they're right beside each other, right? This is a 2008 joke, you know, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. If only they knew. If only they knew. Technology now runs the lives of human beings. They have no mastery over it. They are mastered by it. But, of course, the story doesn't end there. That would be a very depressing story. And the more I watch it, the more convinced I am that, which I watch it a lot, by the way, that <laughs> Wally is not the main character. We might be, we might, you know, he's got the title card. We see him. He has the most screen time. But he's not the main character, at least how we may understand characters in terms of transformation, of change, of a character arc. In fact, Wally undergoes very little change throughout the film. He falls in love, that's fair, but his character, who he is, he's sort of this loving, kind, sacrificing robot at the beginning, and he's that all the way through the end. In fact, he has this kind of holy innocence about him. He's a catalyst for change, but he undergoes very little personal change himself. So who undergoes the most change in the film? Well, it's the captain. It's the captain of this cosmic cruise ship. See, this captain, he lives just like everyone else. He's sort of, technology runs his day-to-day. -day. He has very little purpose. He's just sort of told what to do and how to do it. And then because he encounters Wally and comes to learn about this plant, he comes to learn about Earth. Now, there's a globe on his desk, so it seems as if it's something that he should have known about, but he's had no reason to think or care about it. And there's a beautiful sequence of the film where he goes on a sort of, sort of futuristic Google search, <laughs> learning about Earth, learning about this planet, its manifold joys and miracles. And he becomes so excited about Earth. He reaches a conclusion. He says, we have to go back. We have to go back. We need to return to the earth. It's this wonderful moment. And it is a form of remembering. But a forgetfulness is necessary for him to move forward. He must forget the many generations of people before him who had lived their lives solely on this cosmic cruise ship. He must forget that decision. He must forget the life of ease and comfort, of perpetual entertainment, of amusing himself to death that he has been living. He must forget how easy it is to sit in the chair and decide that the difficulty of walking will be his. He must forget all that has come before so that he might yet again remember the vocation, the call of what it means to be human. And in fact, the climax of the film, the high point, Wally plays a part, but he's kind of off to the side if you watch it. The high point of the movie comes when this captain, this man, has been tossed from his hover chair. He's on the ground, and the whole ship is watching on. 
and he gets to his feet. And the whole ship begins to cheer, to egg him on, to participate in his struggle and his victory as he takes the helm once again, as a human being grabs the wheel and yet again exercises dominion over creation. It's a beautiful moment. It's a beautiful moment because it reminds us that, that all it takes, all it takes is one man. All you need is one, one person, one human being, one individual who refuses to forget the call of God. Who decides not to deny God and his vocation for us but chooses to enter into it regardless of the pain and difficulty that will be required. All it takes, friends, is one man. One man. And that is what Paul is so excited about in this letter to the Philippians. That is what he just can't stop talking about. Philippians chapter 2 he tells us that there was this one man. This one man has come. This one human being, this true human being, has been revealed. This one who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be taken, but emptied himself, who made himself nothing, who took on the very form of a slave, who emptied himself who became obedient even to death on a cross. That is what Paul is so excited about. The man has been revealed. The human being has come at last. Oh, captain, my captain, he seems to be saying. I want to know this man, Paul says. I want to partake in his resurrection. Yes, Jesus opens the way for our rescue, but he does more than that. He opens the very path for our restoration so we might remember, so we might remember who we are, so we might become more fully like God, the very promise that was given to us in the beginning. We who have journeyed through the cave of forgetfulness to land in this world of sin, must journey back through that same cave, forgetting anew. We must say, we forget what lies behind. We forget it. Now, it doesn't mean that, of course, we don't tell the story that we were in need, but we forget. We say it is of no account. It has no bearing on who we are. That is not who I am. We are not defined by Eve and Adam's failure. We are not defined by the sins of our fathers and mothers. We are not defined by our worst errors and sins. And here's the best part. We are not even defined by our own successes. That's what Paul's saying here. You want to talk about Resumes? I got a resume for you, but I threw it in the garbage. I lit it on fire. I got no need for that anymore. 
I forget what lies behind, strain forward to what lies ahead. Forget what lies behind so that we might strain forward, so that we might yet again be human beings. Hans Borgman said this in a book I'm reading that, that human, we are human in as much as we are conformed to Christ. And the more like him we become, the more like ourselves we actually are. Therefore, our identity is not built in the past, but in the future. Forgetting what lies behind. Straining forward to what lies ahead. We long to take hold of Christ who has taken hold of us. And that is a beautiful thing. He has already taken a hold of us. And if we have faith in him, then we don't have to accomplish what he accomplished. This is the doctrine of justification. It's a beautiful, beautiful doctrine. It's the truth. And it doesn't mean that God forgets our sin. This is what it means. That if you are in Christ, when God remembers you, he remembers Jesus. That when God calls to mind human beings now, he doesn't see Adam and Eve's refusal. He sees Christ's acceptance. When he hears you say yes to the devil, he instead, if you be in Christ, chooses to remember Christ's refusal to bow down. If you are a Christian, every time you say no to God the Father, he hears only the not my will but yours be done from his only begotten son. Now that's a beautiful thing, friends. That we are justified by grace through faith. But guess what? It's not the whole of the good news. It is but a part, but a piece, an important piece, but not the whole. For it means that not only are we justified, not only does God see us as Jesus, as a true human being, it means that we might make that ever more true in our lives by participating in his life. That he may dwell in us and we in him. That we may put behind us all that would keep us from straining after, from taking a hold of him. That we might experience that salvation that we might begin to be those people who love and serve God with our whole hearts. That we might be those people who see the creation as a gift to be stewarded, to be used wisely, to be offered back up to God in worship, in adoration. Isn't it beautiful, that part of Isaiah where it talks about the jackals and the ostriches are about to throw a party. And it's not because... It's not because the water's for them. It's because God says, when I save my people, the creation experiences that salvation. It longs, it longs, it groans for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. So that we will be like those who may dream again. No longer clouded by the nightmare of sin. But where we see every tear sown as a song of joy that will come in the harvest. We strain on towards the goal, towards the prize. What is this prize? It says the heavenly call of God. The heavenly call of God. But don't misread this and think that this is about getting out of here. 
This is about an ejector seat. This is about building a cosmic cruise ship and setting sail for the stars where we'll sing songs with Jesus till the kingdom come. That's a mistake. And it's something that Wally rectifies. It gets right as it gets so much right. To the end of Wally, it shows that human beings remember. They forget what lies behind and they strain forward to the potential life that lies ahead and they come back to earth. And the film ends with the captain who's gathered the children around him and he's planted the, the plant that had sent them on this journey in the first place. He's put it back into the soil and they're watering it and he tells the children. He says, this is called farming. And you kids are going to grow all kinds of plants. And as the camera pulls back, we see the earth entire. And we hear the captain's joyful sigh. It is good to be home. It is good to be home. Friends, as you've you been traveling in Lent, on this journey, looking in the wilderness for the good life, know that Christ meets you in the wilderness. Know that a river is bubbling up beneath the ground. Know that God is the God who longs to turn deserts into gardens and will do it again. Know that when you see Christ, you may say, it is good to be home. It is good to be home, friends. And that we might fix our hearts and our entire lives there where true joy is found. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.